Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at sonic-cinema.com as well as YouTube, the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Um, today we continue the Class of 1999 discussion uh, with one of the uh, masters of uh, filmmaking, Martin Scorsese's uh, drama with Nicolas Cage, Bringing Out the Dead. And to discuss the film, I'm joined once again by uh, writer, director, producer, Brian Ackley. Brian, good to uh, talk to you again. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me back, man. I'm uh, looking forward to this. So when when Bringing Out the Dead first came out, uh, when, uh, when did you see Bringing Out the Dead for the first time? Um, this I saw... I suppose VHS. VHS was a thing back then. <laughs> yeah. um, this has been two years after I graduated high school. Um, I remember, I mean, as far as the time period goes, I just kind of remember seeing the trailer mm-hmm. and being uh, mesmerized. In fact, I'm surprised I didn't get to see this in the theater because I was so excited. The yeah. film itself ended up being a letdown because I was so excited. The trailer just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> sucked me in i mean all of the care all those characters so uh but uh i i don't i i think i would have remembered if i did see it in the theater yeah it's funny that you say that you were let down by the movie because that actually kind of mirrors my own personal uh uh first impression with the movie like you i love the trailers i really was looking forward to the movie and it was when i was first really starting to get into scorsese as a filmmaker I'd seen most of his big classics by then and uh, was really looking forward to uh, seeing a new film with it of his. And my mom and I actually saw it in the theater together because she wanted to see it as well. And we were kind of let down as well. Uh, partially, I, I think part of the reason at the time was it, a, it wasn't as just crazy. It, it didn't seem as crazy entertaining as the trailer made sound. Yeah. But also it was just very, it was very depressing movie. To watch. <laughs> um, and it wasn't. Yeah. Until, it certainly and, is a, a somber film. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I watched it again for the first time since then, a few years ago for a movie week on Sonic cinema. And, um, I, I had greater appreciation by I me, mean, but this point I was, I've seen a lot more of Scorsese. I've come to respect a lot more of uh, Scorsese's work, in particular stuff like uh, his collaborations with Paul Schrader, uh, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, uh, Goodfellas, Last Temptation of Christ, Kundun. Uh, and it was shortly before Silence came out that I rewatched uh, Bring Out the Dead. And um, so I was... So by... Now watching it again for the podcast, I I definitely I I definitely feel a bit closer to a bit more understanding of what exactly Scorsese is doing. In a way, this is very much like Goodfellas, or sorry, not Goodfellas, Taxi Driver. Uh, <laughs> but as opposed to somebody who it and and like Travis Bickle, who doesn't really see much good in the world. Nicolas Cage is kind of the same way, except he's somebody who very much wants to help people. Yeah, yeah. 
that's a really yeah that is a very cool aspect of the of the film you would kind of expect the opposite given all of the uh the madness and the the energy and uh, the the drugs and everything you'd expect the opposite but this character Nicolas Cage's character is he he is a very compassionate person there's a reason he say you know he's he's an EMS um mm-hmm. uh, driver uh so and yeah he's very much interested in humanity yeah and it makes it all the more tragic when he is when he finds himself Mm -hmm. um stuck you know and sort of dragged down even yeah and and the thing about frank uh cage's character frank um in the in the movie is the fact that it's like Part of the reason he is so burned out throughout the entire movie is that it feels like for him it's been a long time since he's really been able to save somebody. Like, well, it's like he's, I think it's six months, yeah, and that it's, it's, it's been a long. long time. Yeah. So, um, especially for someone who cares so passionate about what he yeah. does, that's the reason why he got into that line of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the fact that that is. The fact that he, he he has a job where it's, it's his it's it's his mission in life to basically try help people. The fact that he hasn't been able to is, I mean, you can understand completely why that why he is the way he is, and it's like you understand very quickly before you even really get to know him on a deeper level throughout the film. Yeah, it allows you to connect with him, which is, it's it would almost seem like a strange role for for Cage to mm-hmm. to have because he's known for just more more eccentric uh, characters. Yeah, but in in reality, it it is uh it, it is very fitting for him because he has the emotional depth mm-hmm. to play uh to play a so called normal person, but then this normal person becomes you know crazy becomes. Yeah. Um, as nutty as we'd expect mm-hmm. Nick Cage to be in other films. I mean, part of a big part of that is what he's gone through on the job, and the fact that he doesn't seem to sleep as much as he should, and with his and just the situations he finds himself in, and the people he finds himself uh, on the job with, from mm-hmm. John Goodman, Ving Rhames, and Tom Sizemore, uh, you you just you can see why the the part that we associate with Nicolas Cage as a performer comes out and it's this it's it's weird because of the fact that it on the surface yeah this isn't like you said this isn't necessarily the type of character that you associate with Cage um but at the same time enough you as you start to peel back the layers of the character as you start to see him interact more with John Goodman, Ving Rhames, Tom Sizemore, everybody in this this uh, movie, you do start to see more of what we look at as the Nicolas Cage persona come out. Yeah, and it's as if you, it's as if someone is going, you know, crazy to an extent. Mm-hmm. But I'd say it's not. It's not only the the characters are fantastic, and the characters yeah. are certainly um, a very important part of uh, of um sort of dismantling uh Frank the character of Frank mm-hmm. uh but also visually what Scorsese does and I noticed this just from the start is he's throwing lights at you he's just yeah. flaring he's, you know the ambulance lights right in your face mm-hmm. so it's that 
And on top of that, there's a number of times when he's jumping around when we're entering a new sequence and fast forwarding through, he's also throwing the, the sirens on. Yeah. So it's a bombardment. And so there's a similarity between these eccentric characters, which become the characters become more eccentric as they go on. Like mm -hmm. Tom is absolutely nuts uh, yeah. and he's fantastic. <laughs> and so he's like, you know, these are like the lights that are blaring at you and the sirens mm -hmm. going on. So it's, it's a really cool combination of things that that's uh, that Scorsese is is basically throwing us into to experience. Yeah, and I think the first time, and it, I think the the first time how how dark the movie is in terms of how depressing the movie is from a story standpoint, from how how depressing uh, Frank's character seems in terms of his just his inability to really do what his what he's oh, supposed yeah. to do is his job. He's I mean, meant that to do throws off, about. that throws off just how crazy entertaining the movie actually is. I mean, you know, you have and, this very somber narration from Cage that really does set the tone well, and then opposite it, you start off with a Rolling Stones song at the beginning and <laughs> yeah. you start off and you, the way yeah. you you brought up light and the way light and color work and robert richardson's cinematography in this is just spectacular the way the yeah. way the light and the way the color just comes out of what really seems like very pitch black uh visuals otherwise well the word that you that you said that fits perfectly with the lighting is contrast. Yeah. The contrast that Frank's character, uh, you know, the, his inner turmoil, he's a do-gooder who can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so that contrast is huge. It's as, it's as clear as black and white. And you have, and this film itself is very dark, extremely dark. But then there's these moments, there's a lot of moments where white light pops out at you. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's an, um, uh, one of the things are the, the jackets that the EMS guys wear. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, when when they come out of the uh, the ambulance for the first time, the white light is just popping out, right. and for me, there there there's some kind of angelic feel mm -hmm. um, or association with that. Um, and so, but throughout, I mean, the contrast is the, there's absolute contrast, and not just you know vivid colors. But we're talking primarily darks and white and light, you know, mm -hmm. uh, very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is that there's so much about this film, the more you start to watch it, that you real, and especially the more you start to experience Scorsese as a filmmaker, you really do. I mean, you could just, it's easy to say, you know, you could just watch like Taxi Driver, Last Temptation of Christ and see where this fits in in terms of a larger picture of what Scorsese wants to say as an artist, as far as spiritual journeys that the characters go through. But it's not until you really start to dig in much deeper into his filmography and you, you basically start to watch a lot of his major films that you see that you see why this spiritual journey not only is very similar to a lot of the other ones that he puts 
people through, whether it's in Silence, The Last Temptation of Christ, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and even something like Goodfellas versus something that's very, something that's a bit darker and so, sort of like Shutter Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have not seen uh, some of these titles that you mentioned. I, I have not seen uh, Last Temptation and I haven't mm. seen Silence. Oh, how, yeah. how would how would you summarize a, a comparison between their themes and this and this film if if it's spiritually linked? Well, and I think I think certainly with actually and, and it's funny, I have done with with another filmmaker friend of mine, I actually did do a uh, podcast on uh what I you know, what I consider Scorsese's faith trilogy with Last Temptation of Christ, Kundun, and Silence. And uh, basically, one of the things that I think those, all of those three movies have in common, certainly with something like Bringing Out the Dead from a spiritual standpoint, is the fact that they are all characters who are trying to figure out their place in their specific time how they're best able to help people. And that's certainly the case with uh, with uh, Willem Dafoe's Jesus and Last Temptation of Christ. He's he's getting these he he's getting these messages from God that he doesn't quite understand. He's and he's basically going through the process that'll eventually lead him to the cross. And he basically that is a spiritual journey that he's not he he has a lot of self-doubt there. Uh, it's very similar to what Frank goes through in this movie. The Dalai Lama and Kundun, you know, he's somebody who very much is about peace, about being able to help people and spread love throughout the world, but he's caught in a time where the political ramifications of that, especially when it comes to China, he's not able to do that in the way and he's not able to do that not only worldwide but also but more importantly with his own people and he he struggled and to that movie leads to the point where he is exiled out of uh tibet and then with silence it's the story of two missionaries in um japan at a point where christians are Christian missionaries are not looked upon uh, fondly, and they're even persecuted. And so how are they supposed to spread this message of love and compassion in, a, in an environment that rejects their, their faith? And so all of that, you, you see that, you, you, put about, you put it in that respect, and you, you look at Frank, and he's— He's not necessarily the spiritual leader that those characters mm-hmm. are, but he's he's ultimately guided by a desire to help people, and the world around him is, for one reason or another, just not allowing him the ability to do so. Yeah, exactly. That's very fascinating stuff. Where? How would you? Um, how would you? rank perhaps the efficiency um to which Scorsese is able to accomplish um 
or in other words, which are these, which are these, the, the best, the better films, or which is your favorite film that tells that story? I think Last Temptation is easily my favorite. Um, I mean, I think part part of that is because it's the one that I've seen the most. Um, but also, I I think there's just because of the fact that the it it basically there. It, while it follows the uh, traditional story of Christ within the Bible, it does deviate. So because of the fact that there's so much about the story that we already know, and then we have Kazakhstanis and um, Schrader is one of the co-writers and Scorsese uh, bringing a new perspective onto it, I, I think it's probably, it's arguably the most accessible, even if it is the most controversial. Um, I, think they're, I think they're all actually very fascinating. I mean, a lot of people don't really uh, think about Kundun a whole lot in the, same, uh, in the same perspective of Last Temptation, Silence, and really Scorsese's work as a whole, because it's on the surface, it's so very radically different, and also because it's not really available right now. But because of but when once you start to look at it within the context of his larger work in terms of what he's trying to do with the story of the Dalai Lama, it it really does make more sense. All all of them are completely worth watching if you can get your hands on them. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, I mean I. Silence is probably the most challenging of them, partially because of how long it is, but also because of how how difficult I think it is to it's it's kind of a difficult narrative. And because and it's not a bad thing. It's it's just very uh it's it's doesn't feel as accessible as something like Last Temptation or even Kundun, which does follow a very basic uh, biopic structure in the script by Melissa Matheson, but Scorsese's eye is what really kind of elevates that to along the same lines. Um, I, you know, it just kind of depends on as far as which one is better. My personal pick is Last Temptation, but I mean, I could, I could see other people choosing other films for a variety of reasons. Well, and the and the similar question is: Do you feel like he he accomplishes what he wants to co- accomplish? Uh, th- does the theme come through very strongly um, and very compelling in in all those films? I think it does. I I think I I think to a certain extent, we're this is this is sort of where repeated viewings really help out. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, repeated viewings help out a movie. I think you know and. They help out our deci- our choices, our perspective, whether we end up really liking the movie or realizing that we don't necessarily like the movie. It's always good to be able to have that added, uh, those added viewings to really start to think about the movie on not only a cinematic level, but certainly a thematic oh, level. Oh, certainly. 
Yeah, once you have the story, the the, yeah. the surface, yeah. then you a little bit deeper, pay attention a little bit to different things. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know, bringing out the dead, if you'd asked me like five years ago, I would have been like, yeah, I was a bit disappointed. And it's like, I didn't really feel like it was up to snuff to for Scorsese. But if you asked me now, I would say, yeah, it's, it's completely worthy of discussion as... I don't know if it's necessarily top tier Scorsese, but second, certainly second to third tier Scorsese. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, there's plenty of interesting things about it. Now, so as you're talking about these other films, it's uh, I haven't seen uh, Kundun either, and it's I was trying to I was uh, just kind of trying to think of why that may be because I've seen many other um, Scorsese films. The films of his that that tend to be faster paced, mm -hmm. more exciting, but I think I think because there's a link between these, and we can cross over this theme that you're talking about with these, the similarity in, in characters, with that of Frank's in uh, Bringing Out the Dead, and that may it may be that that I am personally not as interested in that kind of story. Mm -hmm. You know how we gra how people gra gravitate toward certain stories like a redemption or the love story yeah. this story may not be uh, the may not be a story that I'm drawn to and mm -hmm. and it may also explain why I I am not a um, one of the reasons why I don't like the film um, there's plenty to like about the film but there's also things it's the film that bringing out the dead is very much a, a roller coaster. Yeah. And I find when it slows down, it slows down for two reasons the uh, Patricia Arquette mm -hmm. character and the subplot with her father, uh, her father, John Burke, I think. And, uh, and then, of course, the, the, um, the philosophical voiceover. And, and these are, there, there are some qualities within that mm -hmm. that, that, that still work very well. But in general, that, that story may not be, appealing to me so i may right. have lost interest in that in that way well and i definitely think you know and you brought up the patricia arquette subplot and i mean i do think to a certain extent especially when it comes to her history as a junkie and her possibly tiptoeing back in there with what's going on with her father i i think that sort of loses focus of why that subplot matters in the films um because ultimately it's like i like the fact that that's that you know because that's the first call that we see frank go to is her father and at first it looks like he's very much dead and then all of a sudden he's he's got pulse and he's just hanging on to the cusp of living and so well, interestingly, he he seemed he goes in and out. He goes yeah. back and forth, yeah. living and dead, living and dead. I mean, there's a parallel between that and the emotional state of Frank, yeah, who's losing a, a grip on his his yeah. purpose, his reality. Yeah, and so I I think that part of the story with Patricia Arquette's definitely, I think it's important to Frank's story because, like you said, it it's. It, it goes back and forth, back and forth very much. And, and Frank is very much invested in whether her father lives or dies. And he starts to have these, these, these sort of hallucinations of her father 
you know, talking to him. Oh, yes, yes. Especially, like, later on, basically saying, no, please let me go. Please, you know, please, I want to go. I, I'm ready to die. And so I, I think that part of it with the father is important to Frank's story. I don't think the, the, the whole part of following her to, you know, a drug dealer and then you have the shootout and stuff like that, that part is not really that important. I mean, it, you know, it, it feels more like the necessity of having a plot device and a plot yeah and it also, as opposed to just telling a story yeah it, it also sets up the uh the drug dealers because we yeah. uh, we go go back there and it and it continues the uh the concern the the the, the uh yeah the concern of this drug that's out this mm-hmm. heavy drug yeah out. yeah which they uh, establish yeah which we start to see more and more some of the uh at some of the places that he's called out to and some of the uh, cases that he's called out to. Um, but yeah, I, I think to a certain extent that that sort of loses the focus a bit for the film. Um, overall, I, overall, I don't necessarily have, I don't have a problem with the Patricia Arquette subplot with the exception of the drug dealers and the, the the drug being a concern so much i i think that's the part where it's like well i it feels like they they sort of lost sight of the story that they and felt like they needed some point of narrative to you know just have something that would drive some sort of a plot to it as opposed to just sort of living within frank's piece of uh state of mind and mm-hmm. I kind of get it to a certain extent, but at the same same time, I I think it 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 isn't as interesting as what's going on throughout the rest of the film. I I did I I was able to go with that with in that direction pretty smoothly. I I do like how they how they humanize these um, essentially drug dealers, yeah. you know. Um, so they're. You know, there's some color there. It's not that, you know, that aspect is not black or white. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they, you, you so, did have the, because uh, you do have the scene late on, late on in the movie where the uh, drug dealers on the pipe spike, you know, and, and hanging on yeah. the spike and they're having to burn off and, and, uh, and Frank is he, having yeah. to, you know, comfort him at that time and try to keep him focused so they can do their job. They create a great moment. I mean, yeah, yeah. there's that setup for that because they create a couple great moments. This man is, is on the, the verge of dying mm-hmm. of dropping to his death. And the, uh, the sparks that are coming out from the, um, the, the, the thing that they're using, the saw cutting the iron. Yeah. It, it's, it, it has this effect of fireworks. And so mm-hmm. of course throwing some actual fireworks too. And the Empire State Building, I think it is, it's lit up. And, and there's this moment where he just appreciates the beauty of the city. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think uh, Frank uh, f- feels that, too. I think he has, a, he has that mo- – he accepts that moment also. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some beauty in that. Uh, what was oh, – oh, I wanted to back up a little bit because you when, you, when we were talking about um, – um, 
Burke, John Burke being in the mm-hmm. in the hospital going back and forth and, and uh Frank is very is is particularly invested in saving in yeah. in this man come through. And uh as far as the plot goes, as far as the story goes, it, it makes a lot of sense to to follow along with the Patricia Art oh Mary. Mary yeah. is her name. Yeah. So follow along with, with Mary because of the emotional um connection that he begins to feel for her and so ultimately what he's supposed to do is is let it go and that's what burke says to him mm-hmm. let me it's, it's my time let me go i don't want to be saved so he has to not only does he has to come to come to grips with that in a personal place mm-hmm. but he has to come to grips with that with um with his daughter with in the presence of his daughter yeah. you know whom he whom he's grow, growing to care about, mm-hmm. and 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 he sees her her care for her her father reflected obviously as well. So there's all this reason for him not to let go. Mm-hmm. Yet that's exactly what he has to do. So there. So narratively speaking, there makes a it, there it makes a lot of sense to have the Mary yeah. character. Yeah. Um, I must say though, since we're speaking about um, Mary. I'm just not a fan, and this might be why I. I th- this is definitely one of the reasons why, uh, why I'm not crazy about the film, and that's I don't like uh, Patricia Arquette in this in this film. Hmm. She has some genuine moments, some really nice moments, yeah. but she's got too many moments that just don't ring true for me. Hmm. Uh, that, uh, yeah. So that might be part of why when it slows down. Yeah. It really comes to a grinding hold at at certain times. Mm-hmm. Are, do you like her in this film? I think she's good. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it up there with some of her best work. I I you know I mean I I think she's better in movies. I I think she's better in something like True Romance or uh, Boyhood. I think she was really good. In that. Oh yeah, this one, Those are this great one ones, she's, yeah. she's she has her moments, like you say. But I mean she's. Not somebody that really stands out uh, particularly, uh, especially when you compare her to Nicolas Cage, John Goodman, Ving Rhames, and Tom Sizemore. Like all yeah. of them in this movie, those three, uh, as the uh, people that Cage rides with and drives with uh, throughout these you know different nights of going out. Uh, I I love that they each have their own particular personalities that you could see would drive Frank crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are particular things about each one that would drive Frank crazy, and <laughs> you understand why he's like, "Oh, please, not not another call. I don't need." Well, and you know what? Uh, such a great, such a great touch, especially with the with with Tom Sizemore's character, who is also named who's named Tom. With Tom, we we see him and we hear of him, so we yeah. so we get a little bit of his reputation, and we see some of the madness in him. Mm-hmm. So when it comes time for him to pair up with him. We understand, like you know, this is the last thing Frank wants to ride yeah. with Tom for crying out loud. And and also, I know. So I read I read the script uh, uh, in in preparation to re watching and and talking, and um, I noticed that Scorsese um, introduced Marcus's character um, very very simple, so that he just as a uh, just as a presence, he's mm-hmm. talking 
in the lounge with the few people that when the first time that we see him. So we know that he exists. I think he's spoken about in the movie and the book before that. Um, but it, but in the, in the script, um, he, he's just basically kind of thrown in. So I thought that was a nice touch because we get a feel for the world that, that, uh, Frank lives in, mm-hmm. including these characters that he kind of passes, yeah, passed by. I I can't remember. S- S- Marcus is the Rames character, isn't it? Oh yes, yes. Being Rames character, who yeah. is just the the scene where I think it's their first call together at the club, and okay, you know, it, I think <laughs> it's I think it's like that's by far like probably my favorite scene in the entire movie just the way it plays out and it's like one of the great little touches i love about that is the fact that it's like they they give they they give marcus the the kids you know they give marcus the kids the name that they know him as which is i be banging oh yes and yeah then it's like well what's his you know what's his actual name and uh they say frederick and but they he wants to call him Freddy, and then it's like no, it's Frederick, and he just goes back to calling him I be banging. Yeah, because that's over him, <laughs> and it's yeah. like that's that's just one of my favorite touches in the entire movie. Just the fact, just that evolution of that scene with Marcus, where it's like, I yeah, I'd prefer to do this rather than call him that. And yeah, <laughs> if it's I fantastic. This, I'm it, gonna call him this. <laughs> it's exactly like that in the script. So that's all. Yeah. That's all. Paul. It's great. Yeah, so I. Love, I mean, there are a couple things that stand out in that scene. You you have um, um, Frank is 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 providing something. I mean, I don't know all the uh, the medical stuff that goes mm-hmm. along with this, but he's basically reviving the um, the the victim. Yeah. And um, and he whispers, Frank whispers to Marcus, like, okay, we're, you know, uh, I'm giving him this, so he's going to be okay. Yeah. And Mark takes the opportunity to to uh, to call upon sort of, you know, he's got this moment where he sort of creates almost a sermon, mm-hmm. and he and he has everybody holding hands, and uh, yeah, um, and, and so it becomes he makes a miracle out of it basically. Mm-hmm. But even in the process of doing this, I it's just a uh, like you said, one of these special touches. Um, the camera is placed up high, mm-hmm. and yeah. Mark not not only is he looking up, but he's looking at the camera. Yeah. So he, he's looking directly <laughs> at us as he's praying to God, and of course the guy, the victim comes out of it, um, and then just all I mean it all flows very nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have but you know one of my favorite touches are are the um, the Scorsese push-ins. Yeah. And one push-ins. Um, is is after this happens, the guy gets up and he's kind of okay. Uh, his girlfriend's he's like, "What happened?" and and his girlfriend's like, "You know, uh, these guys saved your life or something." And and she's walking him out, and then this other guy who's there, he turns around and says, "You guys are miracle workers," or he says something to that effect. And Scorsese pushes in with the camera on um, on Ving Rhames, and he's just looking super cool, you know, <laughs> and and he says. Uh, He's. I, I got the line down here. What is this line that he says? Uh, it's. Um, let me find it. Oh, I can't believe I. Oh, here it is. He says. He says, "Not us. First step is love. The second step is mercy." And 
only the audience really knows. I mean, it sounds very religious. It yeah. sounds, you know, yeah. uh, very, very spiritual. But what uh, what only the audience knows is that he's got is that one of the dispatchers names is Love. Mm-hmm. He happens to be mad. He happens to be in love with yeah. her, or at least obsessed yeah. with her. <laughs> and the name of the hospital that they go to is Mercy, mm-hmm. Our Lady of Mercy. Yeah. Um, which they call misery most of the time. Yeah. Um, so it's just a great it's just a great moment. The the other push in that is just fantastic, um, and it might be one of the things the film's remembered for. And that's the um, sort of the bouncer type guy. Um, his name is Gris. He's an officer. Yeah. yeah. And he he just kind of keeps track. He keeps the uh, the place cleared and and, and monitored. And uh, there's a scuffle. You know, they they know him pretty well. There's a scuffle going on, and then his famous push. There's a push in to a close up of him, and and he's like, "Don't make me take my sunglasses off." Yeah. <laughs> Something to that effect. And and he actually, you know, it's played up. It's played up at least twice, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that push-in is just something Scorsese. I don't know if anyone does it better than Scorsese. Oh, no. I, I, I mean, certainly not anybody recently. I mean, I'm, there might be other filmmakers in the past who do that really well. But, yeah, certainly not anybody working right now. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually just going to mention Gris as being one of my other favorite supporting performances in the entire yeah. movie. It's like, cause you only see him when you're at the hospital, but he makes an impression every single time. And you, yeah. you just, it's just one of those, it's, it's one of those performances where he's there for one specific purpose. And that's just to entertain the heck out of you with a couple <laughs> lines of dialogue. And yeah. a couple of specific moments, and that's, and yeah, that that is that is definitely one of my favorite uh, supporting characters in in the movie. Um, although I I will give a particular shout out to Martin Scorsese as the dispatcher. I that oh. he he's <laughs> yeah. the main dispatcher. And uh, it just you, you can tell it's Martin Scorsese, like it's his voice through and through, and his his delivery. It's just it's basically like Martin Scorsese playing Martin Scorsese as an EMS dispatcher, and uh, it's it's just wonderful to uh, see him go back and forth with the uh, with the characters in the ambulance. <laughs> yeah, you can tell he's got a lot of fun with that too. Yeah. The um, there, there's a there's a drunk that nobody wants to deal with that yeah. pops up a few days, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he gets back on the uh, the radio to to share the good news or the bad news yeah. that uh, they're going to need someone to clean them up again tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you could tell Scorsese enjoys enjoys that. It's a it's a cute way to throw in a cameo for yourself. Yeah, and, and I mean it's one of those things where it's like it it's. There, there are a lot of like, and that's one of those little things that it's it's really easy to sort of just gloss over in a movie. But like, I I think that's that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the movie is that there are moments of really high, dark entertainment, even maybe a little bit of dark humor into it, mm-hmm. while also being very. It's it's something that ultimately. Uh, I th- I think to a certain extent re- it certainly respects the moral dilemma, the spiritual dilemma that Frank is in, in terms of his his wanting to 
help people, but inability to seemingly help people. And uh, but it's also something that has a little bit of fun with it, with something like you know Scorsese is the dispatcher and the way the hospital is and the way the uh, people in the ambulance are. It's 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 one of those things that it finds. It's not great balance, but it's it it brings a little bit of balance to uh to the way it handles that subject. You you know what may be a good example of that of exactly what you're talking about that balance. Um, there there's a mo- that, well when we first when we are first going into the hospital mm-hmm. and this is just after we first see Gris I believe and he he reluctantly lets Frank and Larry in yeah and door opens it smashes on this guy's leg this guy's broken leg mm-hmm. so he's crying out in pain and it's the idea of these two extremes this is a the the hospital itself is a maddening place it's yeah. a very chaotic place and kind of i don't know if it's scary but just a um there's just a lot of negative uh emotions yeah. associated and here you have someone who's injured so you can feel for him but at the same time you're laughing at this moment so <laughs> yeah it's a crazy uh, duality, and it's handled within – what's also amazing, it's handled within a sense of realism. Mm-hmm. It, it, that could easily happen, and that could easily be both horrifying – upsetting at least, upsetting and funny at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it is, it is one of those things where it's – yeah, and you, you, you talk about a lot of the different – other different things and that it's like you have Mark Anthony's character who is uh known to uh marry uh Patricia Arquette's character and uh you know he's he he's the one begging for water, right? Uh no no begging Noel is begging for water. Yeah. Um Okay. Yeah. What's his is that his real name? I, yeah, what? the the actor is Mark Anthony. Okay. Uh and uh yeah. But yeah, Noel Noel's asking for water and he's like, Can we get this person some water? It's like, no, he's not supposed to have water because he he's he's he could, you know, he could get worse off. But uh yeah, just just moments like that, and you're absolutely right, as far as um having because to a certain extent is very much the 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 emergency room in in this movie is to a certain extent is kind of a horror show it is kind of a nightmare version of what we think of as the emergency room um and uh but there's also moments in there where it's <clears throat> there's just a div and absurd uh and it's an absurd amount of entertainment that can be found there and there like you said, there are little moments that uh, Scorsese finds that is where that's applicable. Yeah, exactly. So. There are the those moments. There, there's so there's a, a nurse that we're greeted to as soon as we come come rolling in on the yeah. stretcher, and she's the one that that handles a lot of the uh, uh, drug drug deal. Well, the, the drug the the um, drug addicts, yeah, and alcoholics and. She's got a very interesting way of telling him, telling them, you know, get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, why should I help you? You're just going to go back and do the same thing. Yeah. That was, and yeah, that's all Schrader too. I mean, it's, it's really a, a great script mm-hmm. uh, that they started with. Yeah. And then we also, there's also, uh, 
Frank's boss who keeps saying, oh, yeah. oh I'll fire you tomorrow. I'll fire you tomorrow. I oh, really man, I love that. I'll fire you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. there's scenes together where it's like, you, and you kind of feel for Frank because it's like you understand why he's like, please, just fire me. Just fire me. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you get the impression that that the their supervisor wouldn't even fire. Who's the one that flipped over the the ambulance? Was that Ving Rhames? Was that, that was Mar Marcus? Yeah, I think that yeah. yeah, that was Marcus. You get the um, impression. <laughs> oh yeah, when you have time, I need you know fill out some forms. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I need you. You know, so and so yeah. didn't, and so I need you. <laughs> I mean, it also you know it that's also one of those moments where it could also be commentary on just how how rough that life is because of the fact that it's like you know i can't fire you even though i probably should because of the fact that i still need you to be able to work because i don't have enough people to work yeah <laughs> so yeah um, i think what's amazing again is the idea that they can pull off something like that like that character in a realistic way yeah um, because it it is it, it's part of the and it, a lot of it has to do with the actor the, the 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 character he plays him with the you know compassion you know he 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 is a softy you know and yeah. we all know people I'd probably be the same or, or similar way at least you know if someone's under me and they're screwing up it's like well I I, I need you but mm -hmm. also I like you so yeah. you know and also I don't want to hurt your feelings so there's three <laughs> reasons why you know here you just take the keys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i don't know if i really have a whole lot of i mean well actually we haven't talked about um we haven't talked about part of the reason that nicholas cage's character is so drained with this particular job and that's uh that's this character of rose that is somebody who died on him that's a few right months before and we we occasionally see her in we we kind of we see her face and we see her you know her her spirit just you know saying why did you fail me Frank so many times yeah and, uh, it's one of those things where um it's one of those things where this is you know it's like this is this is their way of showing this is this is what's haunting Frank this is why Frank it. This is part of why Frank is so burned out, and this is why he he needs to be able to save somebody because of the fact that he couldn't save Rose, and so this this has sort of led him into a spiral where he hasn't been able to save anybody. Yeah, I think it's a great narrative and visual ploy, mm -hmm. um, and it, it starts off small, like we just introduced. We're introduced to. To, to uh, we may be introduced to the idea of Rose first, but yeah. then we first hear her on one face, and then we see Frank sees her here, then there, mm -hmm. and at some point, you know, there's a really cool shot that her face is superimposed on several characters that are turning around, and everyone in the street is her. Yeah, and uh, like yeah, it's very haunting. There, there's a now aside from that, there's a um, a really cool sequence where Frank is in this surreal reality and he's uh in the streets I, I think they're even cobblestone but he's he oh it's part of the dream sequence when he when he falls asleep um having taken some sleep aid or some drug yeah and he's pulling ghosts out of the pavement yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, it's a really cool, it's a very cool visual um, of what he's going through. He's trying to save people. He's trying to save ghosts. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where the, the, the spiritual journey is, and I think that's one of the things I didn't necessarily appreciate the first time um, that I saw is that I, I didn't, I, w I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily as conscious of films that did this type of spiritual journey where so much of it is internal with the characters and being able to just follow that without like specific seeing specific plot points along the way. I think mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's one of the things that really uh, threw me when I first saw it. But, um, you know, certainly the, the past, I, I, I certainly like it more now. I think it's a, I think it's a good film. I, I don't, you know, like we, like I said, I don't necessarily think it's upper tier Scorsese. But, I mean, I think it's it's a good film, and it definitely fits into a larger. Uh, it it fits into a larger part of his work than maybe. You know, yeah, it's definitely maybe worth. Maybe audiences didn't pick up on at first. It's definitely worth um, looking into further. Even there's one thing. I mean, so. I, Scorsese just simply knows what he's doing, especially this far into his career. Yeah. One of the things that's really cool about the uh, the lighting is is th this happens um, at least twice: one interior, one exterior. Um, well, kind of throughout, but um, in terms of a sequence where characters are walking through, there's right. the drug dealer's um, the drug dealer's uh, apartment. This is where at first uh, Mary goes in and then he waits, then he comes and she's not there. And then he, then he discovers she's sleeping. Yeah. Um, so there are, um, there are pockets of light that fall from the sky mm -hmm. and because it's white light, um, it's so, so uh, starkly contrasting to the setting itself and the characters walking in and out of this white light. The, it's very it, it it makes me think of these uh like a direct portal to heaven mm -hmm. it's it's absolutely spiritual and so you get the same the same sort of visual scheme um when at some point i okay it's when uh frank and tom are they get a call to go to someone who's tried to kill himself mm -hmm. the guy who's uh, slit his his wrist but the wrong but he didn't know how to do it yeah and so we're introduced to the scene by a white horse, which I'm not sure how significant that is. Of course, it's significant in some way. But then as they're walking through the scene, because it's an outdoor setting of, of all these uh, homeless, it's just sort of like a homeless um, congregation, um, makeshift area. Maybe it was an abandoned building, but I think it was, uh, it was under an old set of train, rack, uh, train uh, rails. Um, but they're the same idea that just drops of light. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I just thought that was one of the cooler ways to, uh, to, to connect the characters, to connect the story, uh, with the, the, that is, you know, the grounded with the spiritual, um, because it's like a, just a, a visual of a, a, a portal of light, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, but then you can see, um, at different at different spots, you see that the actors tend to be there's a lot of backlight, and a lot of that light tends to be white, 
and it and it tends to drop from a, from high above. Uh, so and this is all you know. This is all the filmmaking. The, yeah. the, these aren't accidents, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's there's so many there's so many things like the lighting and like the music and and the choice of music. Yeah. That's worth um, that's worth studying to try to figure out what exactly is he doing. Um, so I would I would agree with you. It's it certainly you know maybe second tier Scorsese. It's certainly um, not a throwaway film. Even yeah. as much as I uh, the parts that I don't like, you know that is beside the point. It's mm-hmm. still uh, there's enough to get from it. Even even if this is second tier Scorsese, though, I do I would say this is probably first upper tier. Nicholas Cage performance though. Um and Oh you said you would say it would be I, I upper- would say it's upper tier Nicholas Cage. I think that's you know, it probably isn't quite in the top performances, but it's it's definitely up there and it's definitely one where it's it's sort of like his performance in Bad Lieutenant, the one that Werner Herzog did about a decade ago, where it's like you kind of would like to see him collaborate again with these people. You know, I would love to see another, I would love to see what another Nicolas Cage, Martin Scorsese uh, movie look like, you know, mm-hmm. same way. I would like to see what another Werner Herzog and Nicolas Cage movie would look like, you know, it's like, there's something about those filmmakers that Nicolas Cage is giving the them I mean, you see it in adaptation too with Spike Jones and what what Nicolas Cage is able to do with that character. And yeah. um, going back to you know the filmmakers we first talked about in this year being John Malkovich, but um, it's it's one of those things where it's like I I think this is there's there's so many shades of you know so many people look at Nicolas Cage now and they just dismiss him outright because of all of the direct video and action movies and stuff like that but you all of that stuff clouds the fact that you forget that he to where you forget that he's a really good underrated actor and he's probably one of the most interesting ones when he's on the top of his game i mean i think here he certainly is yeah, I agree. I agree. I I think he's so so perfectly fit. I think what um a, a role like this you could see Nicolas Cage flipping out half the time. Yeah. But he's he's subdued largely. In fact, when he does have a flip, it's not a flip out. They're they're just mom, you know, they're somewhat wild moments. Yeah. Um and they and they were in fact he's so controlled in the film that they're that they're they're funny and they're just perfectly fit when they mm-hmm. happen and um yeah they don't yeah. feel out of place they don't feel out of place because you you understand the mindset that that care that Frank's in yeah and so it's like it's under it's perfectly understandable that he's going to flip out at times for yeah. one reason or another whether it's something that his coworkers do whether it's something that he sees on a job whether it's having to deal with that uh homeless man again for the fourth time this week <laughs> yeah exactly well my favorite one is uh toward it's toward the end and and everything's speeding up visually speaking just to fast forward actions the cars are zipping through the uh um and we're in the cab with with the frank and with um 
Tom. Yeah. And even their action, they're not doing anything, but their heads are going like this because the film is moving mm -hmm. at 10, 10 times the speed. And then you get them from the side. And then Nick Cage has this has this look where he just kind of looks over and is with this crazed look yeah. on it in his eye. <laughs> it's a very and, Nick Cage and, look. Because I think yeah. I think I think what's his name? I think Tom asks him if he's okay. Yeah. And he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and he's just raring to go. So it's like the that you know the 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 right control over a character can create mm -hmm. moments like that that make sense and they're not not they're over the top and appropriately. Yeah. Uh, but then of course, um, um, Tom Sizemore. Um, may do him up in this in this film uh because he's got one of my favorite freakouts um when at the end when uh when it's time when when we're wrapping things up mm -hmm. uh, and Nick and uh, Frank is leaving the hospital he passes uh he passes Tom who's beating the crap yeah. out of the the ambulance, <laughs> the ambulance yeah yeah <laughs> because he's got all the rage that he wasn't able to take out on uh, Noel mm -hmm. Uh, and he's just unleashing this rage. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and those those three supporting performances by Sizemore, Rames, and Goodman, who we haven't really talked about a lot, but I mean, this is a performance by Goodman that really shows you how just brilliant he can be in in a very small role and mm -hmm. how much of an impact he can have on a movie. I mean, you know, there's certainly other examples of that. I mean, he's he's done that for the Cone Brothers before he's done that in several other movies. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like though those those three performances they're really great in the way that they complement uh, Cage's performance. But Absolutely. also they yeah. tell little stories on their own of who those characters are. It's a they're they're great New York City characters too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, before we wrap it up, do you have anything more that uh, you'd like to say on uh, Bring Out the Dead? I have a I have. Uh, well, I've got two questions for you. Okay. Um, two things that that just stood out about the film that I haven't been able to figure out for myself. Um. One thing is specific. So the specific thing is that at some point, um, Frank invites Mary um, into the. Uh, she she he invites her into the uh, to amp to the ambulance to take her back home. Yeah. And um, I don't remember the the song that's playing, but there's a shot that plays out. It's a two shot mm. um, where they're sitting in the back of the sitting quietly in the back of the. Uh, and I don't know if they hear the music also or not. It could be that the radio is playing it. But it's because it's such a long thing. In fact, I think there's also a rack focus because they're not they're not equal. I think she's closer mm. to the camera than he is. But the camera is on there for maybe fifteen, maybe up to fifteen seconds. Yeah. And there's a, there's a there are different um, there are different expressions, especially on Mary's face. Um, so I don't know if if they're trying to introduce the idea of a. Uh, uh, of the two of them coming together of a, of a potential romance. Um, be, you might think that because she kind of gives a smirk at some point, mm -hmm. uh, but there's other emotions going on in her and, yeah. and on him. Like they're not playing up a, I don't I know. Don't Do really you remember? I don't really remember that scene. I would have to go back and uh, rewatch it for myself to 
see how I feel about that because I I you know it's like I think I remember the I remember the moment you're to I I sort of remember the moment you're talking about because it's after they first take her father to the hospital, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's early. In fact, she may. Yeah, um, I don't remember where it comes in. Real. Yeah, I'd have to. Yeah, oh, I'd have see, to rewatch. Well, he, he, it's somewhere in the middle because he's driving around with Marcus at this point, and Marcus asks asks her like, "What, what, what's this?" And oh, okay. you know, in a very tight in a back and forth, two tight shots, and he's like, "This is, you know, uh, I, I brought the uh, her father in. He's not doing so well. Just oh, okay. and he says, "Oh, you're falling for her, Frank. Uh, not good." <laughs> um, and, and and then he's still like, "Well, I, I'm also hungry. We can get something to eat after this." Oh, you're, yeah. So there's a moment between the two of them, okay. but. Uh, uh, well, that's yeah, that's okay. Uh, if 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 you happen to review the film in the next you know couple months and you want to shout me, give me a shout out. Let me know okay. what you think. <laughs> the other question is more general, and it has and it's a it's a stylistic thing that Scorsese's doing with the camera when he's he he's um he's panning a lot. He's he's panning a lot and tilting a lot, and he's and he's uh, connecting um um a lot of shots together and a lot of action. So he could be on a close up, and then he, and then the camera drops down to the hand to show that the person's doing something with their hand. Mm -hmm. And then it might come back up or it might go somewhere else. Or the camera may just go from one character to completely panning over to another character. And I'm not sure exactly what he's doing with this style. If he's hmm. because it's connecting, if he's just trying to connect the whole, the, the 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 world all together the characters all together yeah or it's just trying to create if it's just about the kinetic energy because that's the feel I, and i and feel like it's probably more about the energy because yeah. i mean i i there's there's a lot of this movie where um there there's a tremendous to a certain extent there you know and we've talked about how sort of depressing the movie can feel you know, mm -hmm. there we've also talked about how much energy the movie has. Like the the beginning of that the movie, you have the Rolling Stones playing. You have this quick, uh, you have these quick edits. You have these quick, uh, pans, shots, close ups, and all that stuff going on, and it's very frantic. So I think yeah. it is about developing the energy of this uh, this movie and the. You know, even though the subject is very serious and the subject is very depressing in a lot of ways, it's about uh, showing, and it's it's probably more reflective of just uh, how he's showing the the life of an EMT, and you know, so yeah. I mean, just going. It could from, also from one to another to another to another, and it's like that's. Because that's kind of the structure. It's like each of these uh, trips that we go on with Frank. Yeah, I like that. Um, also, I guess if this if 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 this is the case too, um, it could play into um, oh, I lost uh, I lost thought. Uh, well, okay, the 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 idea of having like like frank has a has a will or, or passion mm -hmm. but he can't he can't um do anything with it yeah so 
this energy, there could be an excess of energy that doesn't know what to do with itself. So mm -hmm. that could be part of why he's, he's chosen to create yeah. this kind of energy mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a lot going on, but you're like, let's, let's release somewhere, you know, yeah. let's, you know, what do we do with this? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could certainly be, it could certainly be a uh, visual reflection of how Frank's feeling too. Um, in, in that respect, because I mean, he, you know, like, like we've talked about with Frank, it's like, he's somebody who he very much wants to help people. He feels he needs to help people to a certain extent, but for some reason he's not able to, and just everything, he is just so burned out by his job because of his inability to save people the way he wants to so save people and help people that, you know, how is he going to be able to, how, how does he keep going? And it's like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a big part of the movie. Even on a lesser level, just as a, as a human, um, in that, in that job, when it's time to go, it's time to go. Yeah. So like the, cause there are these moments when, uh, for whatever reason, there is a, there's a lull in the narrative. And uh, but then as soon as that call comes in, they pick up the pace and and those characters like you just have no choice. It's time. It's time to roll. And the, and the film makes you do that. Yeah. Sirens are going. The lights are going. You know. <laughs> and before you know it, you're speeding down the street. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool, man. Well, uh, it's it's good to talk to you again. And uh, this is the second time we've talked about. Uh, this year in this movie in general, I think we've we've got at least one more uh, that we want to talk about um, somewhere down the line, and then uh, we we've, we've got other things to talk about too, uh, like the film that you wrote and produced recently, twenty fifty, and uh, yeah, I'll, oh, I'm that'd be nice. Yeah, your ideas to get Princeton on, uh, yeah. and that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and he he actually just hit me up uh, today, actually after uh getting back from Cannes, so uh so yeah i mean that's that's something that you know i i think that's something it's one of the next things that i think i want to uh set up not just for us but i mean as far as the podcast is the three of us being able to uh talk about uh that film yeah we'll make we'll make it happen it's always great talking to you yeah uh well Brian, thank you very much for uh, joining me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Brian Ackley for joining me today to discuss um, Bring Out the Dead. Uh, we have at least one more 1999 film that uh, we're going to discuss, um, Brian Helgeland's Payback. And uh, we also have a film that he wrote and produced that... Uh, we're hoping to talk about to 2050. Um, for now, that's it for the Sonic Cinema Podcast. We've got more coming up with the class of 1999. Um, as the summer goes on, I hope this is going to be the big area where I really am able to catch up with this series to where once the fall hits, I don't have a whole lot uh, left to do as far as um, this one. It hasn't gone quite as quickly as I would hope, but with the Atlanta Film Festival and a lot of other stuff, uh, production of these uh, these episodes sort of got held up a bit. Um, 
hit me up on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema for more. I actually just shared with people my early uh, picks for uh, what I would consider, what I would vote for with regards to Georgia Film Critics Association today, um, if the voting was today, um, as well as a bunch of uh, content after the Atlanta Film Festival. Um, this is Brian Scuttle. Thank you very much for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank <laughs> you.